Hello and welcome to Inside the Americas. I'm Delano D'Souza. Coming up on the show this week, Tehran urges Washington to demonstrate if it wants a return to the 2015 nuclear deal after the latest prisoner swap brokered by Qatar. United Auto Workers Union says it's preparing for more industrial action in the United States, but the U.S.'s big three car makers is warning of layoffs to come. And India tells its citizens traveling to Canada to be careful. The warning comes as tensions between the two countries sinks to fresh lows after Ottawa accused a New Delhi of killing a Canadian citizen on its soil. We begin with our image of the week, and it's of one of the five U.S. citizens recently freed from prison in Iran, embracing a loved one. Now, under the deal brokered by Qatar, five Iranians detained in the United States were also released. The agreement included the unfreezing of nearly $6 billion in Iranian assets. We can now go across to David Smith in Washington. Uh, David, the Biden administration came under heavy criticism for unblocking what was essentially Iranian money. How has it defended its actions? That's right. There was certainly criticism from uh, Republicans over the idea that this is uh, incentivizing future hostage taking and uh, rewarding uh, Iran uh, in, inappropriately. However, um, the White House um, got in early with its uh, defense. Uh, first, it made the point, look, um, you don't get to pick and choose um, who you do these deals with on the international scene. Sometimes you have to make uh, compromises. Um, they were obviously uh, clear about the humanitarian gains here, that scene of the families um, hugging and uh, the five release prisoners uh, standing on the airport tarmac shouting um, freedom. But um, they were also very defensive about the point of this um, uh, money, uh, the $6 billion in oil revenue, um, pointing out that this is uh, not American money. It's not a ransom payment. This is actually uh, Iranian money that had been frozen in a South Korean bank account. It'll now be um, released uh, to, to Qatar and Switzerland. And uh, they argue, at least, that uh, that money will be very carefully um, administered by Qatar. It will, uh, will not go towards uh, weapons or the regime. It will be for uh, food, medicine, other humanitarian uh, causes. Uh, they argue it will be uh, closely uh, policed. Um, all of that said, um, even one of the um, released uh, prisoners made the point uh, that, you know, as he put it, Iran has uh, mastered the game of uh, using Americans and other foreign nationals and commercializing their freedom. Um, so certainly still some deeper concerns here. David, could this latest prisoner swap signal the start of better relations to come between the two sides, given that that nuclear agreement uh, in 2015 which the United States walked away from subsequently under Donald Trump, remains in tatters. The relationship does seem to be in flux. Uh, there are some currents moving quite positively, others uh, fairly negatively, uh, perhaps most notably um, Iran's support uh, for Russia in Ukraine. And just this week, again, we heard Joe Biden uh, uh, fiercely condemning uh, that invasion and trying to rally world opinion against it. Uh, also, Iran support for Houthi rebels in uh, in Yemen, um, but maybe there's some signs of movement on that, and and certainly um, U.S. officials have said uh, the detention of these five prisoners in Iran or men on espionage charges was an obstacle towards resuming talks about Iran's nuclear program. That obstacle 
has now been removed, but certainly um, the relationship remains uh, very complex. David, thank you very much for that update. That was David Smith joining us there from Washington. Now, in other news, the United Auto Workers Union is preparing for more strikes in the United States. The threat of escalation will no doubt ramp up pressure on the big three automakers. They, meanwhile, are warning of layoffs to come as the strike impacts supply chains. James Vecina reports. After Ford, Stellantis and General Motors, there may be more to come. That's the threat put forward by the United Auto Workers, as the labor union hopes their strike will continue to gather pace in other factories, despite lengthy talks with the car-making companies. If we don't get better offers and we don't get down and take care of the members' needs, then uh, we're going to amp this thing up even more. There is no excuse. These companies have made a quarter of a trillion dollars in the last 10 years, $21 billion in the last six months alone. And our workers' wages and, and, and conditions have went backwards. The union is demanding double the 20% pay rise companies are offering over the next four years, saying it wants to match the 40% figure by which CEO pay went up over the past four years. Workers also want a shorter working week and fairer wages across jobs. Livable wage for everybody that works inside these plants. So some of my fellow union brothers that are working next to me making half of what I make, bring them up. You know, these bonus checks, we don't need bonus check. We need cost of living allowance, you know. Uh, we need to keep up with what's going on in the economy. We, gas prices are high, food is high. The younger people that have come in, they have not, uh, they don't have enough money to buy the product they make. It's the first time that workers are striking simultaneously at all three companies. And while less than 10% of UAW's 150,000 members are currently part of the walkout, they warn that the movement will grow if car makers don't shift. I'm extremely disappointed and frustrated that we're on strike. And it's a very strong offer, not only from a gross wage uh, uh, perspective, the 20%, that compounds to 21% over the life of agreement, but also maintaining world-class health care and job security. But the deal is still on the table, and we're still at the table, ready and waiting to negotiate to get people back to work. Pressure is also on the president to help resolve the dispute. As what's become the most ambitious U.S. labor action in decades is slowly making its way into politics, it could become a point of focus in the lead-up to the next presidential election. India has issued a travel warning for Canada. The latest move from New Delhi likely to ratchet up tensions with Ottawa even further. Relations between the two sides plunged to a new low after Canada's Prime Minister Justin Trudeau alleged India was behind the murder of a Canadian citizen on its soil. A day after his explosive allegations linking the Indian government with the murder of a Canadian citizen, Justin Trudeau tried to defuse the mounting tensions with Delhi. The Canadian government says it wants to work with India in investigating the assassination of Sikh independence advocate Hardeep Singh Nijar, who was gunned down in Canada in June. India has rejected the allegations of its involvement. Allegations of the government of India's involvement in any act of violence in Canada are absurd and motivated. In a tit-for-tat move, it expelled the Canadian High Commissioner, who declined to comment as he left the Indian Foreign Ministry. Earlier, Canada announced the expulsion of a top member of India's Foreign Intelligence Agency, who'd been serving as a diplomat. 
We will do everything we can to shed light on this issue. Secondly, we will protect Canadians at all times. And thirdly, we will protect Canadian sovereignty. And that's also why today I expelled a top Indian diplomat from Canada. Hardeep Singh Najjar was wanted by the Indian authorities for terrorism as a strong advocate for an independent Sikh homeland in India's Punjab region. India accuses Canada, which is home to a large Sikh diaspora, of sheltering extremists who threaten India's sovereignty and territorial integrity. In the northern city of Jammu, Indians protested against the Canadian Prime Minister. The spat between the two countries threatens trade ties too, with talks on a proposed deal suspended last week following tense talks between the Indian and Canadian Prime Ministers at the G20 summit. Now, a wall nicknamed the Wall of Shame is being demolished in Peru's capital. Since the 1980s, the structure separated a wealthy district, uh, La Molina, from poorer ones. It was initially put up uh, to protect against terrorist action in the midst of internal conflict, but was extended to prevent the illegal occupation of land. Last year, the Constitutional Court ordered uh, its demolition, and work began this month. It's no surprise the decision is perceived differently on either side of the wall. France 24's correspondents on the ground filed this report. At the weekend in this poor district of Lima, perched on the hillside, neighbours gather together with tools in hand. Their aim is to destroy the so-called wall of shame, dividing them from wealthy neighbourhoods. They cannot stand this symbol of inequality any longer. They remove the stones one by one, sometimes with their bare hands. At first there were the steel rods that we've already removed. Here, as you can see, we've removed the wood. And now we're going to destroy the whole wall. With only a few openings over its four-kilometer-long length, residents say the wall has disrupted and complicated their lives for too long. I work on the other side of the wall. And I have to make a long two-hour diversion down there to get to work. Passing through here takes me 30 minutes. The wall's destruction is symbolic for many residents. This should no longer act like a border between two countries. It should allow free movement. This will benefit both districts. I think that discrimination is holding us back in Peru. On the other side of the wall lies La Molina, one of Lima's most affluent neighborhoods. Green spaces rub up alongside private swimming pools and gated communities. The idea of the wall coming down does not please everyone. There could be a security issue, because if land trafficking starts, they could use force, couldn't they? They may try entering our district by illegally occupying land. That's why the council built this wall. It was a protective measure, not discrimination, as some people like to suggest. The Constitutional Court ordered the demolition of the wall around eight months ago. This magistrate is ensuring the decision is upheld. Our country has a history of over 200 years of inequality. So our decision has not been well understood by all. As a court, it's important to state that certain things are unacceptable, like, for example, maintaining a wall from one end to another. It's not justifiable. 
But the wall in La Molina is just one of many separations. In Lima, five kilometers of concrete still divides other neighborhoods. And we end with images of a crumbling castle in northern Argentina, which holds memories of a visit by the author of Little Prince. Now, Antoine de Saint-Exupéry visited the building and was captivated by the premises. Now, a statue of the Little Prince stands in the park just outside the castle, where many people believe he drew inspiration for the classic novel. That's it for this edition of Inside the Americas. From all of us on the team, thank you very much for watching. From North to South Africa, from Bamako to Nairobi, from Accra to Mogadishu. Bringing you all the political, economic, cultural and social news from Africa for a better insight into an ever-changing continent. Across Africa. Presented by Georgia Calvin Smith on France 24 and France24.com.